0: Well good morning everybody. I'm going to stand over here because there's a bit of a draft coming in this way. (laughs) Stuart's calling me soft but (laughs) he's got long johns on, that's the (laughs) rumour. I am, I am. (laughs) I've been down here too long now. (laughs) Uh, Well it's a pleasure to be speaking to you on Father's Day. It's a real special one for me today as it is my first Father's Day as a dad. (laughs) Thank you very much. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Ava did spoil me. She let me watch the whole of the England game, which was very generous of her. Um, To be honest, I would have rather been changing nappies, but the less said about the game, the better. (laughs) Um, But I must say that being a dad has helped me to see the father heart of God with kind of new eyes, with fresh eyes. Uh, I know everyone's not had perhaps the best experience of an earthly father, uh, but God is the perfect, loving, patient father. Uh, And as we look at our passage today, I believe that God the Father is just wanting to gently draw hearts back to him as we kind of look at God's word today. Um, So let's get into our passage. We're continuing in the book of Joshua, uh, so our series through that book, and we've made it to chapter 8, and we're going to be looking at verses 30 through to 35. Okay, here we go. So... Then Joshua built on Mount Ebal an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, as Moses the servant of the Lord had commanded the Israelites. He built it according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones on which no iron tool had been used. On it they offered to the Lord burnt offerings and sacrificed fellowship offerings. There in the presence of the Israelites, Joshua wrote on stones a copy of the law of Moses. All the Israelites with their elders, officials and judges were standing on both sides of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, facing the Levitical priests who carried it. Both the foreigners living among them and the native-born were there. Half of the people stood in front of Mount Gerizim and the other half of them in front of Mount Ebal, of Mount as Moses the servant of the Lord had formally commanded when he gave instructions to the people of Israel. Afterward, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses. Just as it was written in the book of the law, there was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including the women and children and the foreigners who lived among them. Okay, so we're picking up our story from Paul who was preaching to us last time, not long after the Israelites had suffered a humiliating defeat. So as we we heard last time, they've been defeated at Ai because their hearts had gone astray. They disobeyed the Lord's command not to take any spoils of war, and pride had begun to grow within them. They'd moved from a place of trust and dependence to pride and self-reliance. And this has resulted in a humbling defeat. However, uh, as we saw, the, the Israelites repented of their sin, and God mercifully granted them victory at the second attempt. So the question is, what comes next? What do the people of God do next? Does the Lord call them to press on and take possession of more of the land? Does Joshua issue a rallying cry and lead them into battle, deeper into the promised land? Well, he doesn't, no. Instead, we find that the Lord leads the Israelites into a beautiful valley. He calls them out to him to renew their covenant with him. He calls them to offer their hearts to him again, to offer sacrifice, to read his law, and to rededicate their lives to him. So my first point is this, the Lord is after our hearts. He did not call the Israelites for what they could achieve for him. He did not choose them for their strength or their military might. In fact, he chose a pretty unlikely people. He chose a nation without a land, the people that had been enslaved in Egypt. He was after their hearts. He wanted a people for himself. A nation that he would treasure, a people that he could cherish, a group of people that would devote their lives to him in worship and in obedience. And it's the same for us. The Lord did not call you for what you could do for him. He didn't choose you for what you could achieve on his behalf. Instead, he chose you because in love he had predestined you for adoption into his family. He called you into relationship with him and it's your heart that he's after. But as we saw in our story, the Israelites heart had drifted. They'd compromised their devotion to the Lord, and they thought that they could take the land in their own strength. They thought that they could achieve it. They wanted God's promises. They wanted the land on their terms. They'd begun in a good place of trust and surrender, but they'd moved into compromise and pride. And our hearts can go the same way. We can begin our Christian walk with kind of a radical devotion, a radical love for Jesus. But we can find that our hearts go cold. We can drift from this passionate love to a lukewarm compliance. Like the Israelites, our childlike dependence on God can move to this kind of place of self-sufficiency, to a heart that says, you know, I've, I've got this, Lord. I can manage this on my own. We might not verbalize that but that might be what's kind of going around in our heads. Uh, if we looked at Galatians, Paul writes this to the people of God then. He said, are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? So can I ask us, have we moved from trust to self-sufficiency in our hearts? Do we need to come back to the Lord, come back to our first love for him? come back to that place of passionate devotion, of worship, kind of unabandoned, just giving our lives to him? Is he calling us back to him in that way? So as we read in our passage, God, in his kindness and mercy, led the Israelites to the valley of Shechem. And he called them there to renew their covenant relationship with him, to renew their relationship with the Lord. So he led them out away from the battlefield, away from the place of of fighting, of looking to achieve, and he led them out to a place of beauty and stillness, to offer their hearts to him again. And I wonder today, are there many of us that the Lord is gently leading to this place of renewal? Are you weary from the battle today? Are you tired of trying to achieve things for God? Do you need to come back to that place of devotion, that place where the relationship with him is what comes first? Is he calling you back to this place? Is he leading us back to that place of restoration? The Lord longs to meet with us today. He longs to see us offer our hearts afresh to him. It's the most beautiful, precious thing that we can offer him. Is he calling you back to him today? So as we've seen in our passage, as we look to our story, the Lord called the Israelites to this beautiful valley between two mountains. Uh, It was called the Shechem Valley. And this was a place of great significance for the people of God. This was a place of great history. Now Shechem was where uh, Abraham had been promised by God that the land that he saw before him would be given to his offspring. And as we saw, either side of the valley stood a mountain. Mount Ibao to one side and Mount Gerizim to the other. And it's said, I've not been there, I must say, but it's said to this day uh, that if you stand on top of Mount Ebao, that you can have a conversation with someone who stands on Mount Gerizim. It's this kind of amazing, perfect, natural amphitheater where your voice would just echo through that valley and you'd be able to have a chat with someone on the opposite peak. Amazing thing. So when the Israelites arrived at Mount Ebal, they did what the Lord asked them. They built an altar to the Lord, and Joshua wrote a copy of the Law of Moses on some stone tablets. So the thing to note here is their meticulous obedience of God's commands. What Joshua did there, what he led the people in, it wasn't a spur-of-the-moment idea. He wasn't sort of wake, didn't wake up one morning and think, what would be a good idea today? I know, get some tablets. Come on, lads, let's go. Now, this is what God had commanded them. Uh, Joshua was leading the people in fulfilling Moses' instructions for what the people of God should do when they crossed into the Jordan, into the promised land. Uh, If you were interested, you can find these words in Deuteronomy. And these are detailed instructions of Moses uh, of what to do when they reach the land promised to them. So now, a generation later, Joshua is leading the people in diligently fulfilling what God had asked of them. So next... Joshua organizes the people into two groups, uh, right as Moses has instructed. So half the people go up to Mount Gerizim, and the other half stands upon Mount Ebal. And on Mount Gerizim, the blessings of the law are spoken over the people. And on Mount Ebal, the curses are read out. So you've got this amazing picture, half the people on one mountain, half on the other. And the law of the Lord is being read out, it's echoing through this amazing natural amphitheater for all to hear, just echoing around that valley. So firstly, the blessings of obedience are read out. The blessings that the Lord would pour out upon his people if they lived by faith in him. he would promise that he would establish them in the land, defeat any enemy that came against them, and cause them to prosper and flourish so that all the nations would know that they were the people of God. Now, as we've seen, the previous generations of the Israelites had doubted the Lord's promises, and they'd not entered into the promised land. But at this pivotal point in their history, the Lord led them in renewing their covenant with him. And as the blessings that were read out that we've just seen, that he would establish them, that he'd defeat their enemies, that he would make them, uh, all the peoples of the world would be jealous of their God, of what he would do with them. As they were read out, the people who would have been no doubt, we can't achieve this. This is not something we can do in our own strength. But these are the blessings that would accompany obedience and faith. These were not things that the Israelites were called to do in their own efforts. But this is what God will graciously pour out in response to their faith. So how about us? As we look around today at what God has called us to do, we too should feel that unless god shows up we're going to fall flat on our face if god doesn't come through for us then we're going to fail if god's not in this then this isn't going to happen we shouldn't be thinking actually you know what we can probably do this if we're organized if we really pull our finger out and we sort of rally around together no that's not faith we should be thinking if god if you don't come through i don't know what's going to happen If faith is not required, we should question, whose plan is it that we're actually following? Whose plan is it that we're walking in today? God is calling us to a radical life of faith, where we say yes to him, no matter what the cost. It's not a complicated faith, it's not one that requires a great intellect, but it's just simply hearts that say yes to him. As we step out in simple obedience, then we will see the kingdom of God come in our day. We'll see the kingdom of God established in our generation. As we take seriously the promises of God that we find in his words and that he's prophetically spoken to us, then we will see the blessings of God poured out upon our lives and upon us as a church together. So God is looking for a people with a yes of faith in their hearts. He's looking for a people that will say yes to him. This isn't the kind of faith that we graduate to, that we kind of work our way up to, but it's a simple, childlike faith. In fact, Jesus said about it, that anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. They'll never enter into the kingdom of God without that childlike faith. It's the kind of people that God's looking for. Those with the hearts of little children that come to Jesus and say, yes, to Him. He's looking for a people set apart for Him, a people devoted to Him in faith, a people who will put Him above everything else. So those were the blessings of the law, the blessings that God longs to pour out upon the people of faith, upon His blessed chosen people. Next were the curses. The curses of the law were then read. This is the commands of God to live in holiness and then the judgments of God that would follow disobedience. And these things were ultimately about the allegiance of the Israelites' hearts. They were ultimately about who was number one. Who would they put in that number one position in their hearts? To whom would they be devoted to above everyone else? Now again, Jesus' words help us here. They sum up the law. Jesus summed up the law By saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And in fact, I think Eve started the meeting with those words. So God's obviously got something uh, that he's leading us into today. So can I ask you, who or what is number one in your heart? Who holds that number one position? Who is it that actually you're devoted to above everyone else? So back to the Israelites. Each curse of the law was read out one by one. So across the valley from the top of Mount Ebal, rang out these words. Cursed is anyone who makes an idol. Cursed is anyone who withholds justice. Cursed is anyone who kills their neighbor secretly. And so it went on. Again, you can look to Deuteronomy to, to see that in full. This was a solemn moment for the Israelites. After each curse was read out, they responded with an amen, giving agreement to that which had been spoken over them. As each curse of the law echoed across the valley, the Israelites would have been fully aware of the holiness of their God. If they obeyed him, they would be blessed. But if they turned from him, if they disobeyed him, they would perish. So the question is, was this it for the Israelites? Was this the end of the road for them? The law condemned them. They had fallen far short of God's holy and righteous standards. They'd suffered defeat. They'd been defeated because their hearts had turned from God. They'd turned in pride. They'd compromised their devotion to him. Would they now suffer the consequences of their disobedience, of their failure to keep God's holy law? Had God led them to this place where it all began for them to turn away from them, to, to reject them his, as his people, to turn his back on them, to pour out judgment upon them? Is that what's happening? But look again. Look at where the Israelites were stood. Remember, the people were split in two, one for to speak the blessings, the other half to speak the curses. Now, those assigned to read the curses were stood upon Mount Ebal and below them at the foot of the mountain was the altar the altar that joshua had built so below the mountain of condemnation stood the altar of grace at the foot of judgment sacrifice was made and blood was shed the mountain of judgment turned into a place of reconciliation a place of restoration a place of worship a place of reconciliation to their God. The Lord, in His mercy, had made a way for His people. In His kindness, in His grace, He had offered them the way out. He had offered them a sacrifice in the place of their disobedience. Each one of us, too, stood here today, stands condemned by the law. Each one of us has sinned and fallen short sure of the glory of God. Like the Israelites, we've devoted our hearts to things other than God, put other things in his rightful place. But God, in his mercy, has sent Jesus for us. Galatians again tells us that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So on the cross, Jesus took upon himself the full weight of the law. Every curse, every curse of the law was poured out, was laid upon Jesus. He gave himself on the altar of the cross. He gave himself as the ultimate sacrifice. The sacrifice to which the one that Joshua led the people in was pointing towards, to which the whole of the Old Testament sacrificial system was pointing towards. It was Jesus. The punishment that we deserved was laid upon him. The punishment that gave us peace, was laid upon Jesus. He was condemned so that we might be reconciled to God, brought into his family, brought into relationship with him, adopted, chosen by him. And now as we look to him, we don't stand condemned, but we stand free. The price has been paid in full. Jesus has done it. There's now low condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're his beloved, we're his chosen people. You're his treasured possession. You're the one he wants. So now, when we turn to Jesus, when we look to him, when we look to follow him, we don't look to do this by striving. We don't look to do it as an obligation, but we do so as a delight. We follow him not in fear of condemnation, not in fear of him turning from us, of turning his back on us, why? Because Jesus has done it. He has paid the price. There is no longer any judgment. It's been poured out in full on Jesus. And as we look to follow him, we do so as those with the law written on our hearts, not written on tablets of stone any longer. We follow Jesus not by looking to follow an external written code, not by looking to follow a code written out for us, but we do it as those with the Holy Spirit within us. We do it in the power of of the Holy Spirit empowering us to walk in his, uh, in his way, in His ways, in obedience to Him. The love of God has been poured out into our hearts and we are being daily conformed into His likeness. As you look to Jesus, as Callum encouraged us, as Jamie encouraged us, as we look to Him, we look to His holiness, we look to His majesty, His beauty, we are being conformed to His image. As you behold the face of Christ, you are being transformed daily into his likeness. Simply look to him, look to the king, look to follow him, and you will be changed. You will be transformed. Today, God is after your heart. Today, is God leading you to a place of renewal, a place of restoration? Do you need to offer your heart again to Jesus? Jesus? Or maybe even for the first time, if you've never done that. Is he calling you to offer your heart to him today? He's made a way for you to come to him. Is he calling you back to him? Is he calling you back to the cross where he gave everything so that you might be his? Will you offer your heart to him afresh? Will you give your life again to Jesus? To whom else could we go? He has the words of eternal life. Him alone. Let's not be a people who waste our life wandering in the wilderness, but let's be a people who live to see the promises of God fulfilled in our day. Let's be a people that say yes to Him no matter what the cost. And who knows what He'll do with our mustard seed of faith? Who knows what He'll do as we give ourselves to Him? We can make it so complicated, we can make it so uh, contrived and confusing. But God's simply after your heart. He just wants you. He just wants your devotion. He just wants your heart afresh today. Shall we stand? Shall we stand together? Uh, Perhaps if the worship band could come back as well. Wait a minute, Steve's going to lead us in communion. But just feel to just lead us today in just a prayer of of offering our lives again to Jesus, of kind of just laying our lives down afresh. Uh, Perhaps you've never done that before, perhaps you've never said that yes to Jesus, perhaps you've never given your life fully to Jesus, or perhaps today you just want to say that yes again of faith in your heart, perhaps your devotion has waned, perhaps you've uh, put your your gaze on other things, perhaps you've turned uh, away from that radical first love that you once had. So there's an opportunity now just to offer your heart afresh to the Lord to just say that yes to him, to say, Lord, I'm all in again. So should we do that? If you want to do that, just put your hands out to the Lord. Just This is between you and him. This isn't between anyone else. And I'll just pray. Let's offer our lives to him again. Father God, we come to you. Not trying to achieve your favor. Not trying to achieve your, your well done. But just looking to say, Lord, we're here for you. You've done it all, and we just say yes to you, Lord Jesus. Thank you. We're your children, and you're well pleased with us because of what Jesus has done. You delight in in us. You delight in our simple offering of our hearts to you. So, Lord, we say we offer our hearts afresh to you. We come to the cross. We offer our hearts at the altar of the cross, where you did it all for us. We're tired of trying to achieve it, Lord. We're tired of trying to uh, work something up. But we just say, Lord, here we are. Send us. Use us. We offer our lives down to you. Take our mess. Take our sin. And thank you in exchange. You clothe us in righteousness. You make us beautiful. You make us holy. You've borne every curse that we deserved. And we come to you. Free, free from condemnation. All that we have is yours. We come to you, Lord, and we offer our hearts to you. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon this offering, we pray. Let the love of God be poured in our hearts again. Let the joy of our salvation return to our hearts, we pray, as we come to you, Lord Jesus. Amen.